This is an ABC podcast. Imagine this. You are relatively young, but your heart, your precious heart, has given up. And you're now having to say goodbye to the people you love because it's terminal. This is not the future you imagined for yourself. You had plans, big plans. And what's worse, you aren't eligible for a heart transplant because other parts of your body are now failing too. Okay, what if your surgeon offered you a pig's heart instead? Yes, the whole heart from a living pig. Pig hearts like the one they're offering you have been trialled in baboons with very impressive results, genetically tweaked to reduce the chances of rejection by your body, and years upon years of research have gone into all of this. This could be your chance at life again. Would you say yes? In January this year, that is exactly what 57-year-old David Bennett Sr. did. He said yes. Welcome to Science Friction on ABC Radio National and as podcast. Hi, it's Natasha Mitchell joining you from Wurundjeri country. He was chosen out of desperation to try and save his life. This is Wayne Hawthorne. He's Professor of Transplantation at the University of Sydney and Director of the National Pancreas and Islet Transplant Laboratories. He was unsuitable for a human-to-human transplant because he had a number of underlying health conditions that had ruled him out. He was actually on assist devices to actually keep him alive. And so Muhammad's team went to he and his family and asked their permission to try and save his life with a pig heart xenotransplant. And unfortunately, there's a number of patients that do die on waiting lists because of their unsuitability or their inability to get transplants. So this is a new way forward to try and help transplant these types of patients. Yes, history was made this year at the University of Maryland Medical Centre when a genetically modified pig heart was transplanted into a human for the first time. David, the recipient, only lived for two months after the transplant. So why are scientists calling it a success? The surgical team was led by Drs Bartley Griffith and Dr Muhammad Mahudan. He's president-elect of the International Xenotransplantation Association. And Wayne Hawthorne, his colleague here in Australia, is current president of that association. There have been other xenotransplants that have been undertaken over 20-odd years. Now, allotransplantation is the term used to describe a regular organ or tissue or cell donation, so from human to human. Xenotransplantation, on the other hand, involves transplanting a whole organ or cells or body tissue from one species to another. So, for example, a pig heart into a human. In fact, the very first Xeno heart lung transplant was performed back in 1997 in India, but that unfortunately didn't use a pig organ that had been genetically modified. And so they had massive hypercute rejection and infection problems. And so the organs were rejected. So this is the first successful heart xenotransplant. The doctor who conducted that early cavalier heart-lung transplantation on a 32-year-old man back in 1997 was ultimately jailed for violating India's Organs Transplant Act. 
25 years on, xenotransplantation science has come a long way, as you're about to hear. So David Bennett Sr.'s history-making operation in January didn't come as a surprise to xenotransplantation researchers like Professor Wayne Hawthorne. We knew about it months before the planning and then the final decision. And Muhammad was updating us uh, weekly as to how things were progressing. And, and everyone was exceptionally excited at the overwhelming prospects. Number one, that it was successful. It was a fantastic outcome. And certainly what I would say is if it was you or one of your loved ones and you're on death's door, would you say yes to a xenotransplant? I think certainly I would give it a go, clutching it, trying to live that little bit longer, provided your quality of life was good and it was for him at the over this transplant period. So just give us a sense, though, of by what measure it was a success because he didn't he didn't survive the transplantation ultimately so how was it viewed a success well he survived the transplant absolutely so the heart was functioning in his body that's correct in those two months that's correct absolutely or he would have been dead it was a series of processes of issues that we all can undergo with even an allo transplant infections and underlying problems that he had led to the problems that ended up having him pass away. He had end organ failure for a number of other reasons, not because of the heart. It was a fantastic step forward in terms of for xenotransplantation. It proved very clearly that the data that we've achieved in our non-human primate models is absolutely transferable to the clinic. We're able to avoid hyperacute rejection, the hematological issues. And so from this, we'll be able to look at the histopathology and the outcomes of all of the blood results that they will then publish. So this, this was a giant step forward. It's a stepping stone at leapfrogging us forward to the next set of transplants, and they're already being planned to be undertaken. Scientific progress is one measure of success, I guess, but you might be asking, as I was, what sort of consent was this patient, this man, asked for in signing up to accept a whole pig heart into his body in what is still an experimental procedure? Was he asked or did he offer? That distinction really matters in medical ethics. I think it is important and I'm glad you brought it up. Dr David Clarson is Chief Medical Officer of the United Network for Organ Sharing in the US. Now that's the organisation which manages the US organ transplantation system, the whole system. And he was previously Medical Director of Kidney and Pancreas Transplantation at the very same medical centre where this pig heart transplant recently occurred. Consent. Again, I was not involved in any way with this transplant, but consent certainly would have, you know, detailed the experimental nature of it and certainly could not promise any specific outcomes. And it was, I'm sure, known going into it that it was very much unknown territory. The operation on David Bennett was approved on the basis of compassionate use and that he had a, an immediate life-threatening condition. The Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, is the relevant US regulator. And that organization in, in the United States does oversee xenotransplantation and has very rigorous guidelines in terms of the expectations, in terms of safety, follow-up, how these procedures are conducted. So it was not a spur-of-the-moment decision. This 
was in the works for a period of time prior to it happening. And it was done with full knowledge by the uh, regulators, in this case, the Food and Drug Administration. You've described it as a watershed event. From your perspective, why is it so? Well, the number of hearts that are available in the United States and around the world certainly does not meet the demand for transplantation. And that's been the case for many, many years. And so I think an event like this, it opens up the potential for new sources of organs and the ability to potentially, again, meet the demands of the many patients who are on the list in the United States and and, and certainly around the world. How did you receive the news that the transplant recipient, in this case, David Bennett Sr., died two months after receiving the pig heart? You know, certainly it's a tragedy uh, that David Bennett died. People can kind of have a view that, you know, really this was a, a desperation sort of event, one of a kind thing that really does not have a lot of impact. But I think that's really not true. A, a lot will be learned, uh, certainly when, you know, the details are published, which they have not been yet. You know, there's a lot we don't know yet. You know, I think we have to stay a little bit humble. It's going to be a long time, most likely, before this therapy is developed uh, to the extent that it can be broadly applicable to everyone who is in need of a heart transplant. This is you know, just a first step and it opens doors and it hints at the possibilities in the future, but it also highlights the many challenges that still remain. He was going to die if he didn't receive a heart transplant of some variety. He was essentially on death's door, it seems. But some will ask, should the surgery have happened at all? That's a question. Um, and and there, there are different viewpoints on that. You know, the, uh, it depends on your perspective. Again, I think it is something that, you know, it engenders a lot of publicity and a lot of discussion. And there, of course, will be, you know, opposing views that that this is, is gone too far. But You know, I think when people are faced with making these difficult decisions, uh, it ends up being a personal decision. Wayne Hawthorne, the fact that this patient had an immediate life-threatening condition and there were no effective treatments that would keep him alive, that alone is not a reason enough to receive a pig heart transplant, is it? On what basis was it deemed that now was the right moment to transplant a pig heart into a human? Underpinning this, there's decades, not years, but decades of research work where we've been trialling and developing the transgenic pig technology to alter the genetics of the pigs to make them more accepted in terms of expressing human genes on their cell surfaces so that we're able to transplant them with less rejection issues. We've also developed a number of immunosuppressive agents that are very, very unique and certainly some of them that we've developed are very much specifically for xenotransplantation. Our ability to potentially prevent the various issues related with infection have also been addressed. We've been working internationally with the WHO and the FDA to actually develop strategies for these very transplants from a technical perspective, but also from a legal and an ethical perspective as well. And the recipient who was the first patient to get it 
he was the person on the spot that had the most issues that was more likely to have died just at this time. Everything sort of aligned for him to be able to get this transplant. The pig heart used for David Bennett Senior's surgery had been modified genetically, as as you say. It had 10 different genetic modifications. And this is where the focus of a lot of xenotransplantation science has been in recent years, because, of course, the precision gene editing technique, CRISPR, has been a complete game changer in all of medical research. So can you give an example of what sorts of genes, without boggling people's minds, but what were those 10 genes implicated in that mean that the heart has a better chance of being accepted by the recipient's body, the human body? There's a number of barriers that cause what's called hyperacute rejection. And that's an absolute immediate rejection of the organs or the cells. Now, these are triggered because the pig cells are slightly different. If you think of just say a cell, it's got coatings on it. So think of an orange with a number of cloves, as in when you go to cook something. If you put an orange with a whole bunch of cloves, those cloves are the different epitopes, the different markers for different genetic differences. And there's one particular one called alpha-gal transferase. It's the big thing that makes pigs and pig cells, pigs' organs, different to humans. Now, what was done here was we've removed, and certainly it's the underpinning thing that we've done worldwide for xenotransplant models, we've removed that gal epitope off. So we've removed that clove off the surface of the cell. So these are so-called knockout swines. So these pigs have been genetically modified. So what we've tried to do is, is remove that major thing that triggers the hypercure rejection. Now, like NASA has multiple redundancies for things, so has nature. And so there's still a number of barriers. Another one is called the complement pathways that helps you prevent bacteria, viruses and other agents coming in and, and causing you harm. So, for example, complement regulators, we've expressed on our particular pig types, CD55 and CD59, they are human complement regulators. So they are expressed on the pig cell surface. So you're genetically modifying the pig heart to, in a sense, look more human to the the human body that receives it. That's right. And what sorts of animal trials have been done with pig hearts as a transplanted heart before even humans would be considered? I know there's a, a group in Munich, for example, who have been working with baboons and transplanting genetically modified pig hearts into them with considerable success. In fact, they seem to be the trailblazers in this. Along with Muhammad's group. Now, part of the FDA process that they had to undergo for doing this transplant was to actually give the data in their non-human primate model, their baboon transplant model. Now, the wonderful thing was, was we've been doing this work for decades. And back in, I think it was 2016, Muhammad's group had xenotransplanted heart. They had baboons out to 945 days post-transplant. With fully functioning hearts? That's correct. So that's why this wasn't a surprise to us 
in the xenotransplant community because we've been doing this for many, many years with great success in non-human primate models. Why pigs? Why pig hearts? Pig hearts and kidneys and pig cells? Look, again, if you look way back uh, when Baby Faye was done. Remind people who Baby Faye was. So Baby Faye was the first recipient of a heart transplant from a baboon. Um, she was done in South Africa a couple of decades ago. Now, the problem was, was her heart underwent as we were talking about, hyperacute rejection because it wasn't a genetically modified. Even though baboons and non-human primates are much more phylogenetically similar humans to humans than what pigs are. The problem is, is ethically, it's difficult to use chimpanzees or baboons or primates for this sort of transplant. The other thing is, is we need thousands. Certainly in the US, there's more than 100,000 patients waiting on lists for transplants. In Australia alone, we've got almost 2,000. We've got 1,850 patients waiting for transplants. And last year, we only had 300 deceased tissue donors. So there's this massive gap between what we can transplant and what we can't. So the pig is the perfect model because it breeds very quickly. We're able to genetically modify it um, very readily with these, especially these new techniques, but we were cloning pigs and manipulating their genes decades ago to do this. Our own group had cloned pigs almost 20 years ago for this work. The ethical issues aren't just an add-on here. And, you know, no. pigs are intelligent animals. And I get the, the questions raised by the meat industry and how they treat pigs are the same questions that are raised by xenotransplantation and the prospects of an industrial-scale supply of pig organs to humans mm. raises yeah. a fairly disturbing spectre for a lot of people who are feeling increasingly concerned and active about the rights and well-being of animals. All sentient beings need to be appropriate looked after. The way these pigs are looked after is absolutely imperative. We, we have rules and regulations. Everything is done ethically. Again, it's by evoking those thoughts that it may well be a slaughterhouse. That is incorrect. These sorts of procedures have to be done as if it was a human organ donor. So these animals are given anaesthetics. They will be operated on in the exact same way as what we would do in a human patient, as if it was a brain-dead organ donor. So from an ethical perspective, we will treat them as exactly the same as we would a human patient. But ultimately, it comes down to the same choice. Do we eat sausages or meat? Or do we choose not to? Would we be happy to accept an organ from a pig that has been appropriately looked after or not? David Klassen, you as Chief Medical Officer of the organisation in the US uh, responsible for the procurement of organs for transplantation across the country, you, for, for some there will be a visceral ick factor here and, and this is an important part of this conversation, you know, the transfer of cells or organs or tissues from pigs to humans. You know, scientific barriers are one thing 
But do you see psychological or cultural barriers to xenotransplantation that someone in your role would have to be working alongside recipients on? Those issues always will will come up. I believe, though, in the context of, you know, heart transplantation or lung transplantation, the the risks and the benefits are different. You know, people uh, who are awaiting kidney transplants, you know, have the ability to be on dialysis. Uh, and can wait for years. But in the context of heart transplantation, that's not the case. You know, patients perceive, you know, the risks of uh, these kinds of procedures really dependent upon their own personal circumstances. And and I think it's very, very much different. Um, You know, again, getting back to the genetics of, of all of this, I think, you know, the huge advantage of this current approach is the ability to genetically modify organs. And that's just not something that's possible with human transplants. You know, the concept I think is brought relatively broadly accepted. There have been, you know, studies in the US, you know, about attitudes towards this. And, and transplantation as a whole is, is accepted uh, across the population broadly. And I, I think that generally applies to the, to the concepts around xenotransplantation as well. Wayne Hawthorne, we're into the third year of a pandemic where a novel coronavirus jumped from a bat to an intermediate species to us. Our lives have been turned upside down everywhere. To to what extent is viral transfer a critical concern for for xenotransplantation scientists like yourself? I mean, pigs could be an intermediate carrier of a zoonotic virus that we we don't even know about or understand yet. They they also contain porcine endogenous retroviruses. So is this an acute issue for your field? Perfs can't transmit and haven't been shown to transmit Pervs being porcine endogenous retroviruses. That's right. So they can't be transmitted to humans. They theoretically can. And and why there was a halt to xenotransplantation and allowing us to do clinical trials was the theoretical concerns that they could be a problem. Now, we've already developed pigs that are porcine endogenous retrovirus free. We've also got ways of avoiding any of the other viruses because... Pigs that are used or will be used potentially bred in special facilities, their facilities called designated pathogen-free facilities. They're a very, very sterile environment where the pigs are kept to avoid them from getting any of these potential xenozoonoses. They're fed animal-free food to provide and make sure that there is no transmission even in their food sources. We also screen for any bacterial, viral or fungal potential infections for the absolute reason, as you outlined, to potentially stop any potential transmission. And then there's the last barrier. We've also developed a number of antiviral agents that if it theoretically ever did happen, we could treat with these antiviral agents. But honestly, it's very, very unlikely because of the massive steps that we've taken over the last few decades to try and avoid these from ever happening. Again, the coronavirus has shown us anything is possible. So we have taken those steps to make sure that they won't. 
there's work being done on pig hearts as possible transplant sources, bone grafts, the sclera in the eye, islet cells, which is a, f- a field that you're working on to treat diabetes. So th- there are quite a few frontiers. How do you see the future of this field? It's incredible to see this come to fruition. Um, It's been a long, hard slog to get here. As a national transplant unit for treating patients with type 1 diabetes, we're trying to help reduce that burden of these poor patients that are dying on our waiting lists, waiting years and years to get transplants. So our islet cell transplant, xenotransplant work, there's a number of groups around the world, one in South Korea, just about to undertake a clinical trial to treat patients with type 1 diabetes. They're already underway with corneal transplants from these transgenic pigs. So it's exciting from the point of view that we're now at that point where we are actually moving forward to the clinic. The big barriers are funding. Also, the regulation. Even though we've been working with the regulatory authorities, we still need to jump through the appropriate hurdles to be able to make these acceptable, as well as the ethical issues, uh, acceptance from patients, families and the community. It's really exciting because there's been a number of studies that have shown that the patients, the families, and even various religions are absolutely 100% behind xenotransplantation. Professor David Clarkson and, and Professor Wayne Hawthorne, thank you so much for, for joining me on the program to discuss this development. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the invitation. Professor Wayne Hawthorne is from the University of Sydney and president of the International Xenotransplantation Association. Professor David Clarkson is Chief Medical Officer of the United Network for Organ Sharing in the US. I'd love to hear from you on this one. You can tweet me over at, at Natasha Mitchell or you can email us from the Science Friction website. Share the podcast far and wide and I look forward to joining you next week. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.